Hello, everybody, and welcome to Floor Fight, the Post Rider serialized podcast in which each season we assemble a politics bracket and pit our contestants against each other to crown the ultimate winner. I'm your host and announcer, Mike Levito. And I'm your other host and floor manager, Lars Emerson. Thanks, Mike. Welcome to the podcast and to the exciting brawl we have before us. We have 64 entries remaining after our play-in round from last episode. So we are squarely in the round of 64, the first round. Last episode, we had our play-ins. So there were 16 third and fourth place finishers for the presidential uh, elections that... uh, we pitted against each other, and the top eight have made it into this first round. Back to you, Mike. Of course, all those entries are losing presidential candidates, as the premise of our first season is to pit them against each other in this bracket to determine the answer to this fundamental question. Who was the greatest president we never had? This time we're going to win. We're in a race. We're going to win this. We will wage a winning campaign in every region of this Reminder for our listeners how this works. We started with the 56 runners-up in the competitive U.S. presidential races, plus 16 of the top 3rd and 4th place finishers, 8 of whom won their play-in games to make it to the top bracket. All candidates have been seeded based on their percentage of the popular vote. Samuel Tilden, for example, our top number one seed, received 50.9% of the popular vote, but of course he lost the Electoral College, so he is the losing candidate with the largest vote share, and therefore our top seed. As we go through each matchup, we will introduce the candidate, the year, their seed, who they were bested by, and some context. Then uh, Mike and I will debate the merits of each before crowning that round's champion. If for some reason we can't agree, we will literally flip a coin, because that's how ties are settled in so many local elections across this great nation of ours. Everybody clear? Back to you, Mike. Thanks, Lars, and thank you to the listener. You, yes, you can follow along with our live updating bracket on our website. Go to thepostwriter.com slash floorfight to see the seeds, victors, upcoming matches, and follow along with us each step of the way. So now, without further ado, let's dive in to the first quarter of round one. Thanks, Mike. All right. Welcome to round one. Let's, uh, are you excited, Mike? I'm very excited. Let's get started. So we have that very first of the first seeds I just talked about. We have Samuel Tilden versus James B. Weaver, who won our play-in round against uh, Ross Perot from 96 last episode. So we got Tilden, a number one seed, versus Weaver, a 16 seed. I'm going to start by telling you, a little about Samuel Tilden. Uh, he is the only losing presidential candidate in American history who won over 50% of the popular vote but still lost the election. He was a New York Democrat and governor of New York who uh, was the Democratic candidate for president in 1876 against Republican governor of Ohio, Rutherford B. Hayes. Uh, Tilden had kind of gone after machine politics in New York and he ran on a reform uh sort of platform against, you know, corruption uh, in the outgoing Grant administration, while Hayes emphasized the danger of letting Democrats in charge of the country again. <laughs> you may remember that Civil War thing. Uh, this has been dubbed the most disputed election of all time. 
with widespread allegations of voter disenfranchisement, violence, fraud, and more. Uh, there was an elector even declared illegal. And uh, the Compromise of 1877 resulted in which the Republican Hayes would become president, but federal troops would be withdrawn from the South and Reconstruction would end. This is an aside from that, but like, wouldn't it be kind of cool if we still did that when there were like very bitter elections today, where it was like if Hillary was like, okay, Trump can be president, but like I get to choose the Supreme Court pick, you know, something like that. It'd be very (laughs) interesting. I can't really think of, of one like big issue that that would apply to though right yeah i don't know maybe maybe like bush could be like okay gore can be president but he has to promise never to raise taxes it'd just yeah. be good for a compromised america but a compromising america anyway that's tilded tell us about james b weaver mike yeah so james b weaver we talked about him last week he was a member of well it was called the people's party but they're sort of like if you were to talk about one of them you would call them a populist which is what he was He ran in 1892. He was a former congressman from Iowa. He won 8.5% of the vote and actually carried five states, but he did lose to Grover Cleveland, um, who was running to reclaim the presidency from Benjamin Harrison, who was the incumbent who had knocked him off the last election. You know, back in those days, it was a lot of tariffs that people were concerned about, and that was Weaver's big issue was the McKinley tariff, um, as well as voting rights in the South. Uh, He also wanted a uh, graduated income tax, public ownership of a lot of industries, and unlimited silver. He was one of those populists who wanted to just basically, you know, um, make money more plentiful for the farmers and also was had kind of a, frankly, socialistic uh, view of a lot of industries. So, yeah. Yeah, we, we kind of talked in our playing round how sort of a lot of the things he, and we had a few of these. We had like Brian and La Follette too. And like they were all like vouching for things that have more or less come to fruition, except for the, I guess, <laughs> silver. <laughs> but it's kind of become a moot point. But yeah. right. So I guess if we're gonna put them against each other, I mean, mm-hmm. if you want to say who is the person who like most deserves to be president of everyone in this bracket, it's kind of clearly Tilden, right? I feel the, the majority worst for him. of the country wanted him to be president. Yes, that uh. Yes, he he was definitely probably uh, basically just screwed out of the office, I would say. And it was like a rotten deal. I mean, I guess he kind of got, you know, if you're a Democrat, I guess you want the federal troops out of the South, which was that didn't work out super well. But yeah, but he wasn't even like from the South, though, which I mean, it's, it's very strange to me, right? Like, I don't I don't really know the ins and outs of the election of 1880, but like. I kind of get the sense that he was in some ways just like uh, thrown up there by the Democrats. And then like they they kind of saw like a way for them to um, or wasn't 1880. I'm sorry. Um, 76. 1876. Yeah, I don't know. Just just kind of get the sense that like the he I feel like he probably must have felt used after that. Right. By the Democrats, you know, Um, right. And that's kind of my theory. That's almost pro Tilden. Mm-hmm. Weaver is probably a better person, but I, I feel like Tilden was a little more real politic and could yeah. have, you know, maybe he was a northern Democrat who, you know, made a case to be like the first Democrat elected after the Civil War. And maybe if you elect Tilden, who is like from the north and like a little more pragmatic and who like has this history of going against corruption and whatnot, maybe you get kind of the Democratic Party you want 
in the 21st century emerging a little earlier maybe you know it's a more serious rebuke to the kind of like stagnant republican uh you know that that republican politics that leads to like corruption Mm -hmm. uh in the gilded age there's a case to be made that tilden is like a more historically pragmatic choice is i guess where i'm going there is but there's also the argument to me that like him like his coalition included you know basically very violent and angry southerners who really wanted to who who were openly violent in preventing honestly black voters from voting um because they wanted him to win are are you are you concerned about that element now having influence in the white house um yeah well yes obviously that is bad (laughs) is that a gotcha question mike it is but it i it it wasn't so much the focus of the election is, is it was so focused on like corruption and on the grant administration's, uh, you know, supposed corruption that has somewhat been historically rebuked mm-hmm. and somewhat not, um, it, you know, it was kind of, it was, you know, efficient government and uh, I guess they were pretty anti-immigrant too. Yeah, I, the immigration issue, I think it, it kind of, they kind of cancel each other out. Yeah. Like, there's there's really an no-win situation in that election. And really, I think, when it comes to immigration for any any point in the late 1800s. But, you know, Tilden did sort of say that he didn't want to go as far as a lot of the southern elements of the party wanted to do, right? Like, like there were people calling for... Um, slave owners to be uh compensated for like their slaves being freed <laughs> um like in a very twisted way for them to get reparations right um even though they were on the losing side of a war um and also uh, clearly did a very bad thing and should not have gotten reparations for it um and he said no i don't want to do that like that is not what i'm going for so i yeah i i i, I do think i am it's it's such a it's i don't know it's like you said weaver's definitely the better person and i think you know i i'm i am supportive of the idea of an income tax and <laughs> back i you know i don't really know to, frankly enough about monetary policy to say whether or not i would have supported uh free silver but um maybe i would have and but i yeah i don't know i i i, I could i think it'd be very weird if we had a 16 seed upset of one seed in our very first game so it's also why i'm leaning towards Tilden. yeah i mean i guess the last case i'd make is james if james b weaver gets elected you have kind of a you have an ineffective government in many ways i think you'd you'd get stuck and if the question is who was the best president that we did not have i think Mm -hmm. samuel tilden would have been a much more effective and like yes was he a gradualist sure but you kind mm. of have a, not that this is like a great comparison either, but you have like a Woodrow Wilson sort of thing, right? Is you have someone who yeah. can bridge the Democratic Party from like racists <laughs> to mm. like realists. Um, and in many ways, Wilson is that. And maybe Tilden can do that 40 years before and start laying that, that work, that mm. groundwork. That's my case for Tilden is, you know, he'd at least be able to govern. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I, I agree. Um a weaver, uh, a weaver government would probably be very unstable, is my guess. <laughs> yes, uh, to say the least. And it it it'd be so weird. It it's funny because as I was doing this, it's very funny to realize that like 
back in Weaver's time, and I guess Tilden's time too. I mean, their elections were, were relatively close to each other. Like the rabble rousing, like leftists were all in the rural areas, whereas like the industrial workers were considered, and like urban workers were considered more like yeah. uh, conservative in some ways, which is kind of the opposite of the way it is now. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and so I, it just like. I, It'd be it'd almost be fascinating, right? Because the center of his power and coalition would have been in like the Great Plains, which we've never because it's so sparsely populated. We've never had like a president who's really sort of like obviously they're part of like you know certainly modern Republican coalitions, but they've never been like the focus, right? Um, and it it does seem like a, little, a, a flimsy. It'd be a flimsy mandate, I would say. Yeah. So are we giving it to Tilden? Our number one seed advances. That- I think we are, yes. Okay. I'm I'm okay with that. Sorry, Weaver. Yeah. You're a 16th seed. It's kind of rough. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, our, our next match, we have George H.W. Bush versus Andrew Jackson. Those are some heavy hitters <laughs> right there. Um, George H.W. Bush is the number eight seed, and Andrew Jackson is the number nine seed. Uh, mm-hmm. So Bush, uh, he was a Republican. He lost re-election. He was president, uh, but he lost re-election in 1992. Uh, he got only 37% of the vote, which is why he is a number eight seed. Um, he lost to Bill Clinton after promising no new taxes and then, you know, kind of raising taxes. Uh, conservatives mm-hmm. in the Republican Party moved against Bush, um, who was always like a bit more moderate than the insurgent Reaganites and Christian conservatives. Um, mm-hmm. And there was a recession in the early 90s, but it has been kind of historically rebuked that that actually didn't matter to the election because it was long over. Um, but he was very strong on foreign policy, which also kind of was a bummer for him because the Cold War ended under his watch. So what did they need him for anymore? <laughs> um, that's George H.W. Bush. How about Jackson? Yeah, Andrew Jackson. You ever heard of this guy? He um, He's on money, man. Yeah, so he obviously would become president later, but the first time he ran for president was in 1824, which was this very chaotic election that basically ended the era of good feelings when everybody was a Democratic Republican, which he was. So he actually um, won the popular vote in this election. He won 99 uh, electoral votes, 11 states, 41.4% the popular vote. Um, but no candidate in that race won a majority of the of the electoral vote. So went to a contingent election in the House. Um, and so, the, yeah, we, we, we talked about this election last episode. We talked about William H. Crawford. So the other candidates in the race, it was Jackson, it was Crawford, it was Henry Clay, and then John Quincy Adams. So when we get to the contingent election, Andrew Jackson loses to Quint, John Quincy Adams. Jackson only gets seven delegates in that contingent election. And then John Quincy Adams names Henry Clay as the Secretary of State, which in those days was seen as the stepping stone to the presidency. And people called it a corrupt bargain. They thought they cut a deal. It was the corrupt bargain, Mike. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, uh, one of those wild elections, one of those crazy early elections where there were no real formal formal nominating conventions. Um, It was like state legislators who put people's name into nomination. And so he was popular, especially in Tennessee, where he was uh, formerly a senator. He was also the territorial governor of Florida when the U.S. seized it from Spain. And he was a war hero. You know, he won the Battle of New Orleans. He fought in the War of 1812. He gave the British the what for. People loved him for that. Um, and he was basically sort of the blueprint for American populism. He was against the Second Bank of the United States, which he blamed for the Panic of 1819. He fancied himself a defender of the common people. 
um, who kind of transcended the sectional politics that was in vogue in the day and would be in vogue, obviously, till the Civil War and then after. Um, he concerned himself anti-corruption. Uh, he was centrist, but some people thought he was kind of like emptily centrist, that he was just kind of running on his popular name and appeals to the common man. Someone said he was an honest man and the idol of the worshippers of military glory, but from incapacity, military habits, and habitual disregard for laws and constitutional provisions, <laughs> altogether unfit for office. Um, but, but enough about Henry Clay. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Of course, he would eventually become president, What and it, during which time he would abolish the Bank of the United States. He was famously hostile to paper money, which is ironic because he is currently on a $20 bill. And, of course, he passed the Indian Removal Act, which killed a lot of Native Americans, unfortunately. He basically helped initiate the spoils system and sort of these honestly corrupt practices of who got what job that ended up coming to a head in some of the elections we were discussing earlier. Um, and, yeah, like I said, it was a blueprint for American populism. So Jackson versus Bush. I think... I don't. I think you're going to agree. I think we, we, we talked sort of very. We we were very kind to George H. W. Bush in our podcast where we ranked the post-war presidents. Yes. And Jackson, obviously, a very important historical figure. But if I had to pick one of them to be president, I think I would pick George Bush. <laughs> yes, I hate Andrew Jackson with a passion. Uh, he stands against everything I like. You know, people that look different than me. Paper money, central banks, <laughs> just, you know, normal things. Uh, a, go a government that's not, like, full of stooges and breaking the law. Um, Duels. Right, duel. He, uh, yeah, like you said, certainly very important, but I, you could not get me to not support Bush in this round. Uh, yeah. Bush would have made, like, Jackson's presidency was, I think, bad for the country, mm -hmm. uh, whereas Bush... I don't know, would he have been as effective as, like, Bill Clinton? I don't know, but, like, you probably have... You know, I mean, the great irony with Bush is, like, oh, foreign policy is no longer useful, which was, like, sort of true in the 90s, but, like, mm -hmm. even that is an exaggeration. Like, I don't know. Can I have, like, George H.W. Bush be president in, like, 2000? Like, I'm good with that. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, I feel like with Bush, like, what you could say is that he is, like, a baseline competent administrator, right? Yes. I think whether or not, you know, he, he might do some things you disagree with, but it's nothing that's going to be, like, particularly ruinous. And he's also <laughs> going to run, a, like, a fairly tight ship, I think. He's like. not going to flush anything down a toilet, is what you're saying. No, no. Um, he is, he, he was, like, fam like, the, like, one of the reasons he lost was, like, he was almost too calm, Right. It's right. like people were like, why are you not happier about the USSR dissolving? Right. And he's like, I don't know, I'm just not that guy. But really, he was like, because if I'm too happy, then they're going to freak out and kill everybody. Right. So, um, and, yeah. I, I mean, you, you got to wonder, right? If, like, if Bush wins, I, I almost feel like we, we talked about this in some other episode or something. It's like, if Bush wins in 92, like, maybe you, like, beat down that insurgent conservative wing of the party to some degree. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Whereas, like, Jackson, I mean, it's kind of the opposite problem in this election. is like Jackson losing motivates a lot of people to, like, mm -hmm. stop the steal and, like, deliver him the White House in yeah. four years and, like, this, like, vengeance. Mm -hmm. um, I, yeah, but I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm going to give it to Bush. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I agree. All right. That is Bush defeating andrew jackson good for him fun fact 1824 that election with jackson 
it and the election of 1860 are the only two where we have four candidates in the whole bracket from. Huh. Yeah. So we will be seeing that one come up a lot, is what yes. I'm trying to say. All right, our next round, we have a number five seed, John McCain, versus a number 12 seed, Alf Landon. John McCain. So he's an Arizona Republican senator in Vietnam, prisoner of war. Uh, he was considered kind of a maverick from the rest of the GOP. He often broke with his party on some more socially liberal or pragmatic ideals. Uh, so come 2008, when they are facing an election in which their sitting president is insanely unpopular, like literally a 25% approval rating for George W. Bush, uh, McCain was like an apt choice to take up the Republican mantle, having run against Bush in the 2000 primaries eight years prior. McCain lost the 2000 election, however, to Democrat Barack Obama, getting 46% of the vote. The issues of the day were the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, the financial crisis, and... Uh, yeah, just the unpopularity of the Bush administration. That was mm-hmm. a big motivator for people. How uh, how about Landon? So Alf Landon was the, uh, he was a Republican. He was the governor of Kansas. And in 1936, he ran against Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And like everybody who ran against Roosevelt, he got absolutely shellacked. <laughs> Uh, he won eight electoral votes, two states, uh, <laughs> and 36.5% of the popular vote. <laughs> that's that's uh, rough. Yeah. Um, and he, he – so you know how, like, uh, during uh, this the, our most recent presidential election, Republicans were accusing Joe Biden of running, like, the basement campaign? Yeah. Um, Alf Randon, like, ran, like, a literal basement campaign. Like, he, like, just did not really leave his house. It's um, – the more research I do on a lot of these older candidates, it's funny how common that was until like well, 60 it, years it, ago. It, it was literally like it, it used to be considered uncouth if somebody like actively stumped across the country. Right. I'm going through these guys and it's like, oh, yeah, he like didn't actively campaign. Mm-hmm. It's like, what? Yeah. And he won? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, there were, there was literally a columnist who who wrote a column that was like modeled as like a PSA, and it said considerable mystery surrounds the disappearance of Alfred M. Landon of Topeka, Kansas. <laughs> the missing persons bureau has sent out an alarm bulletin bearing Mr. <laughs> Landon's photograph and other particulars, and anyone having information of his whereabouts is asked to communicate direct with the Republican National Committee. What I think too is that you realize that like these people used to be like funny. Like, yeah. I feel like so many people try to be funny uh, now, like commentators and columnists and like politicians but like i was reading some other stuff it's like man there's some like actual like zingers that people used to write um but anyway alf landon he um he actually was like not like he didn't hate 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 the new deal um he 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 thought it was um a little too anti-business for his tastes and a little wasteful and inefficient but he thought it was generally on the right track the one thing he did not like was social security he did not agree he did not think it was a a wise policy, and he but ran against it. The third rail of politics. <laughs> yeah, well, he 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 got shocked and died, um, and he charged basically that Roosevelt was corrupt and subverting the Constitution. Um, he claimed that uh, Roosevelt would not give up his emergency powers that he essentially put in place during the Great Depression, which is interesting because it's kind of reminiscent about uh, you know talk of emergency powers uh, during the pandemic. Hmm. Um, Alf Landon was actually, fun fact, endorsed by Jesse Owens, of course, the Olympic sprinter who um, uh, won gold medals in Nazi Germany, which was particularly 
uh, poignant because he was black, um, and that surely upset Hitler. Um, he was actually also a staunch Republican and endorsed Landon, but um, it didn't matter, and Alf Landon won Vermont and Maine, the only two states to never vote for Franklin Delano Roosevelt. So literally doing the least in those <laughs> elections. Wow. Yeah. Uh, he didn't even win Kansas. Poor guy. Yeah. So I actually think this may be the most interesting Mm-hmm. Uh, comparison yet because Alf Landon, you know, obviously if, if FDR does not win <laughs> this election here, that's a pretty big deal in America. Like America is very fundamentally different, yes, uh, in many ways. But if John McCain wins this election in two thousand eight, mm-hmm. uh, there is a non-zero chance you end up with Sarah Palin in the White House in the next mm. four to eight years. That is true. Considering John McCain would die. Uh, in the 2010s and you know the presidency well, being incredibly yeah, difficult he up, and he 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 died i mean he would not have died while he was president well we don't we don't know that if, right? if you're assuming you know things yeah we're you know the presidency ages a person that's true um it's a lot of travel and stuff there's just yeah. some who would, John, who would have made the better president? Who, who are you thinking? Um, I don't... I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's very strange. Like, Alf Landon, I don't think... Alf Landon, by his point of comparison, Alf Landon lived till he was 100. <laughs> he was born in 1887 and died in 1987. He would have had, like, the longest post-presidency ever. Or Ooh, that prob- was a long time. You know, or, or, I think he probably would have ended up being eclipsed by Carter, but... That's just, like, crazy long. Like, I remember reading somewhere in, like, 1972, like, he, like, he was, like, he was, like, yeah, I'm, like, Nixon's gonna give it back to him. He was, like, <laughs> you know, he'll avenge me. Um, uh, Damn. Good for him. Yeah. Oh, his daughter was Nancy Kassenbaum. I did not realize that. Huh. Um, but, yeah, I, uh... <sighs> Your point about John McCain is interesting. John McCain's one of those guys where it's, like, you know how there are some countries with parliamentary systems and they elect, like, a president who doesn't have any actual power? Mm. Like, I would like John McCain for that role, right? Like, yeah. he's generally, like, a friendly guy. He's someone who um, even, you know, I, I think certainly towards... He was interesting, right? I feel like he, during the Obama administration, actually was, like, much more partisan than he had been traditionally. Yeah. Um. But then during the Trump administration was like obviously like a voice of reason within the Republican Party. Um, so he, he was a uniter when he wanted to be, I would hmm. say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, th- th- there's the Palin element. And also, is he. What do, do we remember what his position was on like bailouts and things like that? Uh, yes, I believe he did vote for the bailouts. He did. He he wanted to. Uh, th- there was this like well so bush convened both uh, both of them he was like we all three need to basically have an agreement and this mm-hmm. was like bush was basically just saying like pelosi needs to like figure this out <laughs> mm-hmm. like pelosi and reed uh and then i'm gonna like do it but like to to george w bush's credit we we talked about that quite a bit in uh running mates and watching mates it's just like and then like there was this meeting with like McCain and Obama and Obama's and McCain like made the statement. He's like, we are going to like not campaign during this crisis because Lehman Brothers is collapsing. Mm-hmm. And Obama was like, uh, we are you still or McCain was like, we're not going to do the debate. 
we should cancel the debate. And Obama was like, if you're president, you're going to need to be able to like talk to the nation and deal with a crisis. So mm-hmm. I'm still doing the debate, which like Obama got a lot of credit for. And I think is a fair point, but it's kind of sad because McCain was like trying to definitely do the right thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is like serious and we should, you know, the economy is collapsing. And yeah. Obama like used it as a political win, which once again is also fair. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it's, it's, I don't know, it's funny, because, like, I'm thinking about it, and, um... It, I, it, it's hard, right? Because, so, I feel like, in a way, the choice is almost, do you want no social security, or do you want no Obamacare, right? Yeah, I guess. But I'm, if you elect John McCain, do you stop the rise of some problematic elements in the Republican Party? I feel like it depends how good a presidency he ends up being. Or if he dies and Sarah Palin becomes president. That's, that's true. Ooh. I I think, you're asking me who I think would make the best president. I think John McCain makes the best president. Mm-hmm. This is not John McCain in 2012. This mm-hmm. is John McCain in 2008. <laughs> I think true. I think we're not electing John McCain in 2016. <laughs> no. It... Ha- and the thing is, John McCain's form, like, how seriously do you take the we'll stay in Iraq till if we have for 100 years if we have to? Oh, oh I'm sorry. And Obama did not stay well, in any Middle Eastern wars. Touche. Touche. Yeah. 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 I just, um, I don't know. Like, you're stopping FDR's presidency, like, right when it's, mm-hmm. like, you know, not Game even steam. Not even halfway done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not even halfway done. I. I think I gotta go McCain. Okay, let's do it. All right, that's that's exciting. You're welcome, Johnny. <laughs> pour <laughs> pour one out. All right, let's move on to the next one. We have William Jennings Bryan in 1896. He's gonna be in here a number of times. So this is just him in 1896 versus Rufus King. Uh, so William Jennings Bryan in 1896. He was a Democrat. He co-opted progressives into the Democratic Party. He built a coalition around expanding the use of silver in the face of the gold standard. Basically, Bryan made this big speech at the 1896 Democratic Convention in which he called for bimetallism, as it was called, uh, and expanding the monetary supply by allowing silver uh, into the supply as the use of only gold was holding the nation's money supply back, uh, which which is true. it was and is still considered one of the greatest speeches in American history, and uh, though he'd lose the 1896 election to Republican William McKinley, uh, Bryan got 47% of the vote. He'd run two more times in 1900 and 1908, so like I said, we're going to see him again. Uh, but yeah, he was right. The gold standard was bad, and it contributed massively to the financial missteps that lengthened the Great Depression uh, 30 years later. Um, that's Bryan. How about King? <laughs> So Rufus King was a uh, senator from New York. Um, he ran in the, well, did he run in the 1816 presidential election? That kind of depends on your definition of run. Right. Um, because he was uh, the, like, he was the he was a Federalist and he was the Federalist candidate. But it was a thing where um, at that point the Federalist Party was in such poor shape that they didn't really have a formal candidate. And they were like, well, we all like this guy, so let's just say he's our nominee, <laughs> even though he wasn't really actively seeking the president. Um, 
And, you know, he did about as poorly as you might expect somebody with that much enthusiasm would do. Um, he won 34 electoral votes, three states, 30.9% of uh, the popular vote. He lost to James Buchanan, who, of course, next election would essentially run unopposed. Um, you mean James Monroe. I meant, yes, James Monroe. Oh, yeah. Buchanan, <laughs> very different Buchanan guy. Yeah. got a whole other thing. Yes, James Monroe. So, yeah, like I said, he was an informal nominee. He didn't really have a platform. Uh, One thing going for him was that he was um, pretty anti-slavery. He did not want it to expand into American territories. Um, In fact, he was, like, one of the key figures behind making sure that slavery was banned in a Northwest Ordinance, which, you know, would that's basically the territory that would become sort of the upper Midwest, Michigan, Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana. Um, he, He made sure that slavery would be illegal there. Uh, he was delegate to the Constitutional Convention. He was also against the slave trade, you know, the international selling of slaves. Uh, he was also the Federalist uh, Vice Presidential Nominee in 1804 and 1808, so they liked him a lot, but uh, he didn't really seem like he wanted to be president. So, yeah. These are two very different guys. <laughs> yes. Um, <sighs> what, I, as an economist, what, what are your thoughts on William Jennings Bryan? Well, I mean, he's right, right? He he was completely right about the gold standard. It was mm-hmm. bad. It was holding the nation back. You couldn't create enough money. And the nation had grown, like, dramatically in that time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the, whole, the whole thought of the gold standard is, like, money is pegged to this, so it always has the same value as gold. But you can only, there's only so much gold, so you eventually stop being able to coin money. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, you can look at our last two recessions you know it was super useful is the ability to just like create a ton of money and like give it to the world and loan it out and you couldn't do that and so you know brian was a a progressive the irony is this is kind of like flipped (laughs) um ideologically as democrats are like oh my god they're creating money to give to the banks that's evil Mm -hmm. it's not it's actually like good because it's money for for you (laughs) Mm -hmm. but um you know this is like a big progressive thing it's like the banks are getting rich because they control all the gold and all the money supply, and there's no money, so money is expensive, is a, is what you would call it. Whereas mm-hmm. they want to make money more common, <laughs> expand the prosperity and whatnot. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I <laughs> that seems like a good thing. Um, I, I think, you know, Rufus King being sort of that adamantly against slavery at a time when you know uh the slave power was definitely in control of uh the united states government would have i guess done a good thing it also might have just like ended in like an earlier civil war (laughs) i think you can make the argument and like i said he didn't really seem like he wanted the job and i feel like if there's one job you don't want to phone in (laughs) it's president of the united states so i feel like you know no matter what you think about William Jennings Bryan, he was at least enthusiastic. Yes, so. he, he would run two more times. He really wanted to be president. Yeah, so uh, I, I feel okay going with him. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, James Monroe, you know, getting reelected after the War of 1812 feels so inevitable. He, well, he was—the War of 1812 was already over. No, I know, I know, right? It's like it's good feelings towards James Monroe in 18. 18- 16 or it's good feelings towards the democratic republicans i should say yeah madison was yeah. was president yeah. Monroe was not an incumbent yes yes i mean it's good feelings towards that continuance mm. of right right yeah 
Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, etc. Whereas, you know, McKinley, I, he, I mean, he's going to die. Ooh. McKinley dies. Well, I guess like he dies after 1900. Yeah. I, I, I'd be comfortable flipping a coin on this one. I don't care too much, but my inclination is to give it to Brian. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Okay. All righty there. So Brian, a number four seed, advances against Rufus King, a number 13 seed. And we will take a commercial break. If you're enjoying Floor Fight, be sure to check out the podcast that started it all, Running Mates. It's the podcast where Mike and I went through every modern presidential election through the lens of vice presidential picks. Not only that, but we made our case for who would have been a better pick each cycle and where and how vice presidential picks could make a difference each election. Could Hillary Clinton have won in 2016 if she picked a different running mate? Could Al Gore have won in 2000 if he picked a different running mate? That's the premise of Running Mates, which you can find on thepostwriter.com or everywhere podcasts are found. Subscribe and run through every election from 1968 to 2020 with an emphasis on that second name on the ticket. And we're back. I hope you had a nice commercial break, Mike. (laughs) I did. (laughs) All right. So we're back for the uh, next part of the first quarter of the first round. We have number six seed, George McClellan, versus number 11 seed, Alton Parker. Let me tell you about George McClellan. So, after Lincoln fired his ass during the Civil War, Union General George McClellan decided to run against Lincoln in the 1864 presidential election. He was nominated by the remaining Democratic Party in the Union states as a compromise candidate between the War Democrats, who wanted to keep fighting, and the Peace Democrats, who wanted to stop fighting. (laughs) McClellan was definitely a war Democrat. I mean, he was an ex-general. And he repudiated his party's platform, which basically called for peace and negotiation with the Confederacy to reach, like, an agreement. Uh, So McClellan got 45% of the vote against Lincoln and lost. That's George McClellan. (laughs) Who's Parker? (laughs) Alton B. Parker was the chief judge of the New York Court of Appeals a curious position to jump to the presidency from. Um, He was a Democrat who ran against Theodore Roosevelt in 1904. Uh, He won 140 electoral votes in 13 states, a popular vote percentage of 37.6%, so not too great. But yeah, Alton B. Parker was uh, the... uh, He he broke William Jennings Bryan's streak. You know, Bryan ran in 1896 and 1900, and then again in 1908. Parker was the... Um, the guy in the middle there. Um, the big thing that set him and Brian apart was that he was actually for the gold standard, um, which actually some people think helped him politically. Hmm. Um, and it, it's like I, just re- I was reading about this and like the way that he sort of like communicated this position was so like, you know, 1904, where like he leaked a telegram he sent to somebody <laughs> that, that said that he liked the gold standard. And Theodore Roosevelt said that this move was bold and skillful and most adroit. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, uh, and Parker would, but Parker was was he was pretty progressive. You know, he was actually against imperialism. He did not like the United States. He he thought there should be a timeline for the United States um, granting independence to the Philippines. Um, 
uh, he uh, he thought Theodore Roosevelt was unstable and, didn't, and was not like a real trust buster. But he also thought that trust busting, he kind of confused some people because he also thought trust busting was like not necessarily thing that the Fed should be doing, that it should be more of like the states and the courts who should be in charge of it. Um, but yeah, the Democratic platform then, they wanted a reduction in government spending. Um, they wanted to investigate some executive department they thought was cor- they thought were corrupt. Again, they were anti-monopoly, they were antitrust. Um, they actually wanted to use, you know, government contracts to end antitrust laws and basically like cut off trusts who they had contracted out to. Um, they were also against protective tariffs. Um, they were for the eight-hour workday. Um, they were for building the Panama Canal, for direct election of senators, um, wanted to grant statehood to the parts of the West United States that were not states yet and were still just territories. Um, we're also against polygamy in some of those states. Well, I mean, hmm. all of them, but I'm sure one in particular. <laughs> yeah. um, they actually did want to cut the defense budget. They wanted to sort of shrink the army and uh, enforce civil service laws. And they thought the Roosevelt administration was, and this is a quote, spasmodic, erratic, sensational, spectacular, and arbitrary. Um, I'm matching Jackie Childs from Seinfeld saying those lines. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that was Parker. A, a fun fact I was reading about him. So his, uh, his vice president was this guy named Henry G. Davis, who was a, senator, he was a former senator from West Virginia. Um, he, was, he was very old. He was 80, um, which is, you know, old for a presidential candidate. He Especially was the in oldest, 1904. Yeah. And he, he was the oldest ever major party candidate, like, on a presidential ticket at that time. Hmm. Um, the only reason he got the nomination was because he was a millionaire. <laughs> um, he, like, owned mines and railroads. And people thought that, like, he would be able to fund the campaign. And uh, he didn't. He, he just decided not to give any money to the campaign. <laughs> so, playing back there. <laughs> That's so sad, because if the Democrats would have... Um put up William Randolph Hearst, who also ran in that primary in 1904, uh, mm. he very well could have financed his whole yes. campaign. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I'm forgiving this to Parker over the guy Lincoln fired. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. Roosevelt's, like, you know, cool and all, but I like more states, and I like some of those things you talked about. Yeah, and, you know, I, you know, I, you know I, perhaps I'm not as... Uh, familiar with the nuances of early 20th century politics um but it seems like parker was was more or less like a he would have been a a net good it seems like you know he wasn't uh you know he didn't want to like you know get rid of child labor laws and you know bust unions he he seemed like he was pretty on board with the progressive program he just thought that the other thing as i was reading my research is that a lot of these like elections especially the ones from like the late 19th century to like the early 20th century, they were so like personality based Mm. and like, there was a lot of like commonalities within the parties. And it was really just like, who do you trust more? And Parker seems like a fine guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. I I don't care if it was like Jesus himself. Yeah. Like I I feel like replacing Lincoln in the middle of the war is just like a bad idea. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. 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 So I guess Parker, that's, that's an upset. That's an 11. It's our first upset, right? Uh, oh, our first in the in in the round of sixty-two. Yes, that's a that's a that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, next up we have number three seed Horatio Seymour versus number fourteen seed Charles Pinckney in almost said two thousand four, but it's actually eighteen oh four. 
It's a long time before that. So Seymour, uh, he was governor of New York. Uh, he was a Democrat. He ran against Ulysses S. Grant in the 1868 election. He got 47% of the vote. Uh, Grant and Seymour were campaigning against each other on the issue of Reconstruction. Democrats did not use dog whistles. They just said very racist things. <laughs> and uh, they claimed Grant wanted many of these things they made up about reconstruction and rights for black americans uh seymour wanted change in the south to be handled at the state level at this Mm. time (laughs) which is not a good idea like even to this day that's still like not a good idea uh whereas grant called for stability and peace and basically made no effort in this campaign how seymour ends up as a number three seed is like amazing he got 47 percent of the vote that's just whatever pinkney tell us about pinkney yeah so uh charles coatsworth pinkney what a name um he was a a former united states minister to france um he was also a um he, he was he was a delegate to the constitutional convention and he was the federalist vice presidential candidate in 1800 in fact um alexander hamilton um who you may have heard of he actually wanted Pinckney to replace John Adams at the top of the ticket in 1800. Um, so he was popular in federal circles. He was not popular in the rest of the country. Uh, he only won 14 electoral votes, two states, uh, 27.2% of the vote. He lost to Thomas Jefferson in his re-election bid. So Charles Coastworth Pinckney, his big thing was he was a wealthy planter from South Carolina, and he uh really lobbied for the interests of wealthy planters from south carolina (laughs) um he was a big supporter of the fugitive slave act um, which you know would have basically forced the return of runaway slaves into free states back to their owners um he also wanted slaves to uh in the census as you know the three-fifths rule um he wanted that to apply to how uh congressional districts were uh distributed um he this is a direct quote from wikipedia opposed as impractical the election of representatives by popular vote (laughs) um he also did not think senators should have a salary he thought could not because he thought you know it was a public service and they should be volunteers he thought it he he thought that they should that the only men of independent wealth should be senators (laughs) (laughs) Um, digging a hole dude i know um he all, but you know, I guess one good thing he did is that he did sort of like very much push for like treaties to be ratified by the Senate. You know, he thought that was an important thing, um, <laughs> which they're required to be under the Constitution. Yeah, no, no, but like he 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 was key in like putting that in the Constitution. Oh, oh okay. Um, he also helped abolish the Atlantic slave trade, um, and opposed placing a limitation on the size of a federal standing army. I, none of these choices are particularly good, I feel like. Yeah, I, I don't love either of these people. Um, I I mean, I guess, because, you know, Pinckney, you know, you know it's, it's unfortunate because Thomas Jefferson is also in here as a losing candidate, um, I think, mm-hmm. next episode. Uh, like, Jefferson's presidency is so, certainly a man of flaws, but, like, would you go back and stop it? Or would you, like, put in Adams? Like, I, 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 I'm inclined to say no. I'm inclined to say, like, Thomas Jefferson was, like, a necessary and inevitable kind of thing in American history. Who, 
you know, did a lot of historical bad and did a lot of historical good. I agree. I also forgot to note that Pigney was the first ever presidential candidate to lose his home state. Uh, <laughs> good for him. So he, here's my thinking, is that if you elect Seymour, you then probably end Reconstruction right there, right? Yes. I- and Reconstruction is probably a process that ended too early as it was. Yes. Um, if you elect Charles Coatsworth Pickney, you replace one uh, aristocratic slave owner with another. <laughs> right. I, to be clear, I think I'm arguing in favor of Pinkney. I'm just sort of making yeah. the... I mean, the, the Louisiana Purchase had already happened. The mm-hmm. economy's fine. Jefferson's already done his, like, cool stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I, I'm saying Pinkney, too. Seymour's just, like, a problem. <laughs> yeah. We're replacing one problem with another with Pinkney, at least. It is it is a classic lesser of two evils scenario. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> the second to last round in this episode, we have number seven seed, Winfield Scott, versus number 10 seed, Walter Mondale. How exciting. We love Mondale. <laughs> um, so, Winfield Scott... He was the Whig candidate in the election of 1852. This election is notable for being very boring. Uh, There were very few actual disagreements between the candidates other than uh, just your normal kind of run-of-the-mill 1850s stuff. Scott got only 44% of the vote, and he lost the election to Democrat Franklin Pierce. Scott was an army general. He led a lot of engagements against Native Americans and Mexicans. He sought the nomination three times before getting it in 1852, so fourth time's the charm. I wish I had more to say, but this was like a very boring election, 1852. Uh, Tell us about Mondale. Well, this was in some ways a boring election as well. Walter Mondale, who was Jimmy Carter's vice president at this point, though, in 1984, he would have been a former vice president because both he and Carter lost re-election to Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush. And Mondale would do it again, Uh, but in much more spectacular fashion, of course. Uh, He won only 13 electoral votes because he only won one state and Washington, D.C., that one state being his home state of Minnesota, which even then he almost lost. He only won 40.6% of the popular vote. So Mondale, you know, he he just kind of ran as like a good old-fashioned Minnesota liberal against, uh, you know, Reagan's California conservatism, uh, an alliteration that doesn't make much sense in modern politics, but it did back then. You know, his, his big line was, let's tell the truth. Mr. Reagan will raise taxes, and so will I. He won't tell you. I just did. Um, because it's <laughs> oh, interesting Walter. because... What's that? Why, Walter, why are you saying that? Well, it's because he wanted to raise taxes to reduce the budget deficit, which is yeah. funny because I feel like whenever people talk about raising taxes now, they don't talk about it to reduce budget deficits. They talk about it to pay for, like, things they want to add to the deficit. Yeah. Um, just very curious how like budget deficit like deficit reduction used to be a democratic policy, but they were going to do it through raising taxes, and that made it problematic for a lot of people. I don't know. Very. I curious. mean, I feel like it was a democratic policy until twenty twenty. That well, yes, opinion. I think it was in every party policy until twenty twenty. Yeah, you could even argue until twenty sixteen. Well, at least in theory, it was anyway. But yeah, he also supported a nuclear freeze, so he didn't want to. He, you know, he wanted to stop uh, building nuclear weapons. And uh, also supported the ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment. So yeah, that's Fritz. Fritz Mondale, as they called him. Uh, this is an easy one for me. I have no strong feelings at all about Scott, and I hate Ronald Reagan. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to argue pretty staunchly for Mondale here. I think you stop the Reagan revolution right in the middle. You just poof, 
Mm-hmm. If Mondale defeats Reagan, American history is so different from then on, you know? Yeah, it would be pretty <laughs> bonkers. And I don't, yeah, I I don't see any compelling reason why we'd be much worse off, actually, to be frank with you. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, a nuclear freeze. <laughs> Um, uh, so yeah, I, 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 I would agree. Um, it seems like somebody who had some ideas that I generally agree with against somebody who seems to have no ideas at all. So, um, yes, I, yeah, I'm uh, fine with Walter Mondale. Yeah. Do I think Scott, I don't know. It's just like Scott's nothing to me. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, dude. All right. Mondale advances. And for our last matchup, this first quarter of the first round we have number two seed the only woman on this list hillary clinton versus number 15 seed who won the play-in round against breckenridge last episode robert m la follette hillary clinton have you ever heard of her she was first lady in the 1990s then she was senator from new york then secretary of state under president obama and then the first woman ever to receive the nomination for the presidency by a major party in america uh fun fact that i realized that is actually like kind of obvious uh she's also the only woman to ever win a primary or caucus in american history uh she was the Democrats' nominee for president in 2016, and she won the popular vote. She got 48%, but lost to Donald Trump in a very bitter election that focused on immigration, Hillary's emails, and the Donald bragging about groping women. This was not a point of uh, high political debate in American history. <laughs> Tell us about La Follette. Yeah, so Robert M. La Follette, if you remember from last episode... He was a member of the Progressive Party, but it wasn't like the Bull Moose Party of the Roosevelt days. It was this coalition of sort of like leftist and progressive organizations like labor unions and socialists and farmers that was created specifically for La Follette's uh, candidacy because he was a progressive Republican. Both of the major party candidates, Calvin Coolidge and John W. Davis, were considered conservatives and, uh, you know, progressives wanted a counterweight to that. Um, so they nominated La Follette as a progressive. He only won his home state of Wisconsin, which gave him 13 electoral votes and 16.6% of the popular vote. Yeah, he dabbled a lot in leftism, as I said. He was pro-Bolshevik before he visited the USSR and realized that was not a good idea. He's uh, sort of a stated goal was to break the combined power of the private monopoly system over the political and economic life of the American people. He wanted the government to own railroads and electric utilities. He wanted to provide cheap credit to farmers, outlaw child labor, strengthen labor union laws, protect civil liberties. He was against expansion of Latin America, and he wanted a popular war referendum to declare wars. Um, He also wanted to nationalize cigarette factories. That's a fun fact. Uh, He would also die what would have been like six months into his first term. He died in June 18, 1925. So, Cool. I don't, I don't know about you, but this is also a pretty easy one for me. My feeling with LaFollette, the dying guess is a problem. Um, I, I feel like he has an issue similar to Weaver, right? Where it's like, okay, even if you elect him president at the time he runs here, he is just going to be, like, completely out of water in Washington. So I, I feel like he has a, a Weaver problem there. Yes. Um I don't know, can we make the case that, that La Follette should have been president instead in 1924? Instead of Calvin Coolidge? Yeah. I think you could if if you wanted, like, maybe some more progressive economic policies that maybe would have 
you know, not led to some of the economic problems that like the Coolidge era would kind of encourage. But that being said, if we're picking between him and Hillary, if you elect Hillary, you don't have Donald Trump as president. And I'm pretty okay with that. Yes, I, um, I think I think Hillary's got to go to the next round mm-hmm. for sure. I think there are going to be a lot of interesting things to unpack with her as she... Because I, I see her going like decently far mm-hmm. uh, just this, this early in the game. The, the interesting thing to unpack with Hillary will be like, okay, if Hillary wins and is more deserving of the presidency, which I think we can objectively say was true <laughs> compared mm-hmm. to Donald Trump, does she then lose in 2020 to like the Republican Party of the 2020s? You know, just given yeah. the... There, there's just an interesting... And it's but then you also have the question where it's like, what does the Republican Party of the 2020s look like if Trump is never president? That's yeah, that's true. Too. Because I and you know I think a lot of that depends on how the election itself plays out, like what the map looks like. But I think there'd be a lot of people just calling for like a hard reset, basically, right? Yeah. You know, um, there'd be like another autopsy that was like, yeah, the reason we lost is because we nominated an idiot. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay, so Clinton should win this round. <laughs> Awesome. All right. Uh, And that wraps up this quarter, Mike. Back to you. Yep. That concludes uh, the first quarter of round one. We've gone from 64 candidates to 56 and are ready for the real matchups to begin next episode. Uh, What do you think, Lars? Any any surprising results for you? I foresaw a bit of drama over the Tilden v. Weaver matchup, Mm -hmm. but I I think we were pretty fair there. The McCain v. Landon was the one I was most kind of concerned about this episode. But yeah, I think we probably came down on the right side on that one. I think that was the one I was most surprised by. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I guess I'm surprised Pinckney made it to the next round because <laughs> when I was like researching him, I was like, man, this guy sucks. Yeah. But he, 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 drew, he drew a weak opponent, to say the least. It, it happens. And, uh, I, I don't think he's going to stick around much longer, but uh, who knows? It, It'll be interesting as this goes on to see, like, who just keeps ending up against, like, a slavery guy just every <laughs> right. round and just, like, makes it all the way. Mm-hmm. Eh, we'll see. Yeah, any, any any matches in the next round you're, you're looking forward to? So of these eight, we've just pulled it out of these 16. Um, Hillary Clinton versus Mondale. That's a big mm-hmm. matchup, man. That's, like, the two wings of conservatism. You know, this, like, tr- do you want Trump or do you want Reagan? Does Reagan cause Trump? Like, you, you have this big... I mean, that's that's a big one. I think that could, yeah. that'll make for a great debate in uh, a few episodes when we finally get to uh, round two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. What, what about you? Yeah, I think that one definitely. And then McCain versus Brian yeah. could get interesting. Um, yeah, I'm also, we've got three more Brians to get through, so we'll true. see how many Brians make it into round two. We, yeah, we, we could just get sick of them. Right. As most of the American public seem to be sick of him at some point, too. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you're just going to have to stay tuned to find out. Uh, Be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever podcasts are found, or, of course, you can find it on thepostwriter.com. You can also stay tuned live with our updating bracket at thepostwriter.com slash floorfight to see how each candidate fared as we whittle them down over the course of the series. Tweet us at thepostwriter or email us at contact at thepostwriter.com to let us know what picks you would have made, where we aired, and the tremendous injustice we committed against, you know, whoever your favorite was. I'm sure, I bet there's a lot of Weaver stands out there. (laughs) I actually do think there probably is. Yeah. Anyway, see you next time for the second quarter, round of 64 on Floor Fight.